Like a what? Like an angry ogre. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter four of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is titled, What Caspian Did There. I am a languid and rather dandified young person without any armor at all. <laughs> oh my goodness. waving his arms around in frustration. I'm also known as Kristen. It's the second week in a row. We've never had this issue before until this book. And this is my co-host. I, I guess I'm Governor Gumpus because there's nobody else in this chapter. Oh, you're a bellious looking man? Yeah, I am. I get deposed. You happy? I'm also Chris. You could have been Tack or you could have been Sulky. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the podcast. I wrote it down. Uh-huh. We're going to have to start discussing this now. No. Hello. Oh. Thank you for joining us today in our podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your just physical expression of frustration was... Excellent. These are the things you miss, listeners, by uh, this being an audio medium. <laughs> if we should start Twitch streaming this, let us know. Oh, bye, bye, bye. It would be the most boring Twitch stream of all time. All time? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so, Chris, um, what do we do with this? How do we start this podcast? I've, we've only done, you know, 57 of these or something. Mm -hmm. We usually start with a summary. Summary, yes. Okay, so... um. Why don't you go ahead and do your summary first? All right. Oh, Governor Gumpus. I uh, know. Your sufficiency. My hair used to be red. So, <laughs> here is my summary. Then Caspian caused his banner to be advanced and his trumpet to be blown, and every man drew his sword and set his face into joyful sternness, and they marched up the street so that the street shook, and their armor shone, for it was a sunny morning so that one could hardly look at it steadily. My lord, said he, fixing his eyes on Gumpus, you have not given us quite the welcome we expected. And before Gumpus quite realized what was happening, Byrne was kneeling with his hands between his, the king's hands and taking the oath to govern the Lone Islands in accordance with the old customs, rites, usages, and laws of Narnia. When all this had been pleasantly settled, Caspian ordered horses of which there were a few in the castle, though very ill-groomed, and he, with Byrne and Drinian and a few others, rode out into the town and made for the slave market. That night they had a great feast in the castle of Narrowhaven, and then, "'Tomorrow, for the beginning of our real adventures,' said Reepicheep, when he made his bows to everyone and went to bed. We have three sentences in common. Wow. You're just copying everything in my chapter, aren't you? Hey, <laughs> I, I wrote these yesterday. Wow. So... All right, go you ahead. You are the one doing the copying. Mm -hmm. Apparently. Because you did them today. I took a look at your notes. Also, uh, in subjects of tomorrow and yesterday, um, I hope your your sport ball team won in the Super Bowl yesterday. 
dear listener. I hope you're not having a large party. I hope you didn't have a large party <laughs> yesterday. Well, also during currently. During the Super Bowl. Currently, while you're listening. I know people have listening parties for this podcast when it comes out. Okay. <laughs> Here's my summary. My lord, said he, fixing his eyes on Gumpus, you have not given us quite the welcome we expected. And before Gumpus quite realized what was happening, Byrne was kneeling with his hands between the king's hands and taking the oath to govern the Lone Islands in accordance with the old customs, rites, usages, and laws of Narnia. When all this had been pleasantly settled, Caspian ordered horses, of which there were few in the castle, though very ill-groomed, and he, with Byrne and Drinian and a few others, rode into the town, and made for the slave market. I declare every slave in this market free. Then she was launched again and victualled and watered as full as she could hold, that is to say, for 28 days. All right, so we both had pretty similar ideas of what happened in this chapter. Yep. Crazy. I know, it's weird. Uh-huh. This is not like a chapter of requirement where it just becomes whatever you want it to be. Anyway. <laughs> So we put together a plan, and Caspian has gathered his troops, they've polished up their armor, and they are going to march the town. Yes, after uh, having a pleasant evening at Burnstead last night. Yeah. Uh, Lewis really likes his triumphant entrances. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, because this is uh, basically just an echo of what happened to you know, usher Caspian's reign into Narnia in the last book, where Aslan leads the, you know, the dryads and the, and the party through the towns and, like, freeze the children from school and oh yeah absolutely i i i I was making notes on the on the echoes there too this very um repeat Mm -hmm. of the installation of caspian where the kids and the women and and you know all of this are are freed from the everyday life Mm -hmm. the schooling and the boredom and like the women coming out because oh there's a king and all of this yeah and the young um, woman, because Caspian and Drenian are just so attractive. You know, absolutely. <laughs> so attractive. Yeah, so attractive. So we have uh, this parade and we have pomp and circumstance, though I feel like this one is much more purposeful. Mm-hmm. Like, this has plot reasoning behind it. Uh, not to say the one in the previous book didn't, though much less so. Uh, this one, they, they, there's an actual plan here. They are trying to appear like they're you trying, know, a force they're that's coming trying in to take the to islands. They're trying to put this all together, as opposed to the last one, which was very, like, um, put together by Aslan in a very natural, like, people-following Aslan kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is something that Byrne had a hand in starting the crowd. Yeah. And continuing to gather support via just the general human communication from person to person of like, oh, it's a king and come see the king and let's not miss out on what's happening Yeah, in our little island. Yeah. Uh, so they get to the castle at Narrowhaven. Yes. And they uh, go to open the gates because they're going to throw open the gates and go confront the governor. And we just start trashing everything about, you know, Narrowhaven and the people of the Lone Islands. Well, I mean, they kind of trash themselves. Let's be real here. We're like, hey, they can't even barely get the gates open because they're rusted shut. The person who comes out to them is very like this typical Cockney accent, very like... He's just drunk at 10 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, no, I'm sick Friday nights between 9 and 10 p.m. Yeah. 
in those days, everything in the islands was done in a slovenly, slouching manner. Yes. So the Lone Islands are just lazy and... Well, what do you expect from people whose money and livelihood is being made off of their slave trade? That's they have to be lazy, slovenly folks. That's apparently it. Uh, and I wanted to take a pause here, and I don't know if there's anything to this, but I, I do have an idea that I want to throw out in the main podcast and not in baseless speculation. Okay. Uh, because we established the Lone Islands as being like this lazy, slovenly place. And it got me to thinking as to whether maybe there's some allusions to, like, Dante's Inferno. Uh, I or wouldn't the Paradise, be surprised Paradise at all. Lost here. Where we have Narnia, and then we have all these realms or countries surrounding it, which are, you know, the embodiments of, like, the seven deadly sins. See, so it, we have Kalerman, which is greed. Okay. Uh, we have the Lone Islands, which are sloth. We have Arkenland, which could be pride. We uh, haven't really seen a reason to believe that yet, but what would Terebinthia be where they weren't allowed to land? That's the thing, uh... I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh... I'd have to actually know what the seven deadly sins were in order to actually f- follow along on this. Uh, so we have greed, uh, pride, lust, sloth, uh, gluttony, envy, and wrath. Okay. The seven deadly sins. And I don't know if there's enough here that we know about the world, but it seems like... What about... What about... The, we are... Seeking out seven lords yes. from Narnia. Yes. What if where we find each of them follows along this kind of path where that, that we have found Burn here yeah. in this slothful place and we'll find some of the other lords in places that hmm. reflect some of the others. That is an idea. Something to look out for. Yeah, that uh, that could be a thing, but it also could be... I don't know, because I, I feel like the books very much establish... Uh, you know, Narnia as this, you know, at times conflicted, but, you know, this island of of calm and peace in a fallen world where yeah. all these other countries surrounding and have much bigger issues. And like, Narnia when... Look, you don't have to talk about the giants that way. <laughs> and Narnia, when Aslan is in control, is just like this, you know... the Paradise. This paradise in this country that everybody else should aspire to. Uh, but yeah, I feel like we'd have to learn a bit more about, like, Galma and Terebinthia and whatnot to actually establish this. Or just keep reading and see if the Seven Lords are in places of the Seven. But that's a literary theme that I saw there that I thought I'd touch on a little bit. Uh, anyway, so... I know for sure Mm -hmm. that this is something that we should follow, because I can think of one, at least one example later on in the books that would line up with that. Okay. For sure, but I, I can't think of any more than one. Well, we'll jot that down and see what we, uh, what conclusions we can come to. Yeah, no, definitely. Cool. So anyway, we open the gates to the castle at Narrowhaven. Uh, we see the drunken guard. The rusty gates. Yeah, and what? they come in, and this is a theme where they see, like, you know, they have this force that's there, but their their armor is in terrible condition, and, like, they're all lazy. They all look like vagabonds, it says. Yes. Or just, like, nobody's taking pride in their work at all. Uh, and they come in and basically, you know, tell the men, hey, look, we're coming to take over. We're Narnia. We rule you. Hooray. Uh, get a cask of wine ready. We're going to crack that open tomorrow, but also everybody polish your armor and we're going to, you know, we're going to deal with stuff today. Tomorrow we're going to have a celebration. Well, and it's very much like a, 
you are not of the standard you should be and we're going to forgive it today but tomorrow you won't be forgiven like show up ready to be inspected all is forgiven now show up tomorrow ready to be inspected but they also have this kind of concern that while these men are disheveled and vagabond looking they could also be dangerous in the right circumstance if led correctly this group of misfit soldiers could could potentially keep Caspian and his 50 whole people out and if that and, and because and so like they try to be like oh and who's the captain because they want to make sure that they aren't going to get led into a a combat and we're going to get some wine ready for you guys to celebrate the coming of the king and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i i don't know i just find that interesting way that they go in and they're like these guys look awful, and we don't really know if we want them to fight for us, but we know that we don't want them to fight against us. Yeah. And they find the captain, the, the rather dandified young person. Oh, yes. Um, me. So, <laughs> so then we go in and meet me, Governor Gumpus. You are Governor Gumpus. Yep. Uh, who is a very uh, bilious-looking man. Do we know what bilious means? Do you know what bilious looks means like? I should have looked that up, shouldn't I? And probably, especially if you're going to describe yourself that way, but... Yeah. Let's look it up. Yeah. Bilious. Not Billy Eilish. Thank you. <laughs> He's a Billy Eilish-looking man. <laughs> the definition of bilious is affected by or associated with nausea or vomiting. I have uh-huh. eaten something that didn't agree with me, and I was a little bilious. Okay, that's not a very, uh... Or spiteful or bad-tempered. Wow. Outbursts of bilious misogyny. Ooh, that's a pretty rough description of him. Yep. <laughs> we go in, and this uh, this bilious-looking man is sitting down at a desk with a bunch of paperwork, very you know, absent-mindedly waving them off, being like, "No appointments unless it's between nine and ten p.m. Second Saturdays." Which nine p.m. on a Saturday is a really weird time to just have people come in and air their grievances. Yeah. Um, yeah. That one hour one one hour <laughs> window of time, once a month. Yeah, and they go in and they flip his table. Mm-hmm. So here we have, you know, the money launderers in the temple and Jesus coming in and uh, clearing out this. Uh... So wait, 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 wait. So Caspian's Jesus? I thought. Uh, there's so many Jesus analogs in this story. I can't keep track <laughs> of them all. <laughs> but I thought Aslan was Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe maybe Jesus is more of an abstract concept, and it's a mantle that different figures can take on at different times. You love the idea of the mantle. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, it's a it's a fun idea. Um, anywho, so we go in, we flip the table, we disrupt Gumpus, who still doesn't seem very concerned, and like Caspian openly threatens him. He sits down across from him, and it's just like you know, with his sword across with his sword his across his knees, and it's just like. I was expecting a warmer welcome. And the governor's just like, nobody told me. Nothing about it in the correspondence. <laughs> There's no, no correspondence. You no. didn't send a letter ahead. We didn't know you were coming. Should have notified me. Yeah. Which makes sense. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if like I was expecting a visit, like if I got visited by a head of state. Yes. Uh-huh. It's just, like freaking Biden walks in my front door and it's just like, well, it doesn't seem like you were ready for me. I'd be like, if I had no notice of this. Yes, but even with no notice, 
he still could have done many, many, many things mm-hmm. from the moment the ship pulled into port mm-hmm. to the moment that Caspian opened his door. Yeah. That would have indicated that he was even a little bit aware of who Caspian was or attempting in any way to show fealty to Caspian. Yeah, but there's also like this, I don't want to say plot hole, but there's an issue off the plot I have here because they're coming in, they're flying Narnian colors where Narnia hasn't been a power in centuries. Well, don't say in centuries because what we have here is we finally have a timeline point Uh of reference where Caspian specifically says it's been 150 years since we received tribute from the islands. Uh So they clearly maintained a relationship with the islands for 850 years at least after the Pevensies left, where Mm -hmm. the Narnian leadership was still maintaining some kind of connection with these islands. Mm -hmm. And it's only in the last 150 years that the islands have kind of dropped off their radar. Yeah, Uh, and he brings up this fact that, you know, you said 150 years, they haven't paid any tribute. And I'm sitting here wondering, like, for what though because we know at least when you know Miraz was king he wasn't building any ships like he didn't have any fleets patrolling the seas or anything he wasn't doing any trade with any other nations all like yeah the lone islands so like what would the lone islands be paying narnia for yeah <laughs> and uh, i mean yeah it's, it's a good question what would what were they paying narnia for in the 800 years after the pevensies disappeared because when yeah. the pevensies were there They were doing stuff. They were interacting. They were seafaring. They were exploring. They were clearly interacting with the other peoples of Narnia and of the of the sea area around Narnia. Yeah, and probably offering some kind of protection. Yeah, but here we have Narnia probably hasn't offered any kind of protection for two hundred years to the Lone Islands. So there's no point in them, you know paying tribute which is very fair it's a very good question um but we also have the idea that burn said is that they still honor in name narnia as their rulership Mm -hmm. and so as long as they're holding the name of narnia as something like there is capital in that especially when you're slave trading with the calermines and the terebinthians and to be like oh yeah no we're part of narnia yeah. If Narnia is still a scary thing to these people, well, then, yeah, there's there's a value to that, even if it's just the use of the name. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they have this back and forth where Gumpus is just like, no, I don't actually, you know, owe you money, et cetera, et cetera. Just trying to wave Caspian off and... It says something along the lines of him really wishing that they would go away. (laughs) Really wishing they'd go away. And then he has this uh, kind of internal moment. So yeah, Gumpus also has this kind of internal monologue where he weighs the pros and cons of... Well, I mean, it basically... man showing up and... It basically says outright, if he had known that there was only 50 of them... Yeah. He would have surrounded them and killed them in their sleep. Yep. (laughs) Like... Mm outright he's just like "Mm, well this is inconvenient we'll just kill them but because he didn't know that there was only 50 of them and they had made the show of signaling to the other ships at burton's recommendation yeah they were protected from that and they might not even know the full extent of how much they were protected from that yeah so gumpus is sitting there and just saying you know is this guy really worth my time is can i stand up to him etc etc 
and Drift then tries to defend slavery as economic progress and development, and they need this to function. And and I and I want to sit here, and I'm I'm never ever ever going to argue in favor of slavery. Good, good, good to know. But Caspian <laughs> makes points that are not 100% valid. Caspian says the slave trade hasn't brought meat to the island. It hasn't put money in your pockets. It hasn't fed your people. He says things like that. Which it has. Yeah. Like historically, the slave trade made some people very rich and yeah. put money into society. Now, does it benefit the lower classes? No. Does it create a wider gap between the upper and lower classes? Yes. The people who are making money off of the slave trade are making a lot of money. But the people who are owning slaves can be middle class people who are. You know, blah, 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 blah. That all said, Caspian makes this big, noble argument about how slavery doesn't do anything for society and that they don't need it. And we've already established, like, in in to some extent, the laziness of the people of the islands and, like, the slovenliness of the guards and everything that we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um. And so this is kind of like an attempt to continue off of that, being like, okay, so they're all lazy, and then we're going to sit here and argue that slavery has never done anything positive for you, except, you know, and the, the logical leap there would be to be, except to make you all lazy. And that's not outright stated by Caspian, but it's kind of implied by the context of what we've seen already of the castle. Uh-huh. And... um it's creating this idea that the Lone Islands has completely fallen apart due to the slave trade, which that's, that is the, that is like, this is the one problem with this island is that they sell slaves. Yeah. And as a result, they're lazy people. And, and it's, it's just oversimplifying all of the cultural problems that could have resulted. Like, and it's just like, there is one problem on the Lone Islands, and we're gonna go there, and we are gonna fix it in the fir- in the first quarter of an hour that we're there. Yeah, we're gonna walk in, fix it, change the leadership, and be on our way. Well, and we are gonna fix that island, and it's done. You know, like it just feels like you've taken something hugely culturally important, especially in this world, our world, not Narnia, of slave trade. And especially in the timeline here, we're talking this book was written in the 1950s. So we've got a lot of like civil rights movements just getting kicked off in the United States and things like that. Like all of these, all of these issues that are at the forefront of the mind of many people at the time after World War II, where a lot of people who had come out of slavery historically had fought in the wars and kind of gained respect as soldiers and as fighters for people, etc. And C.S. Lewis is just kind of sitting here going, yep, this is this is what led to the entire collapse of the Lone Islands was slavery, and we came in and fixed it in 15 minutes. All it took was Caspian knocking a table over and going and yelling at somebody in the slave market. And it was fixed. And it's like, that's not how the world works. Yes. Okay, take a breath. <laughs> have some coffee. You have like 30 points that I can respond to there. <laughs> However, I'm going to pick one where I think 
the Lone Islands is in a really interesting economic position. And as much as we paint Gumpus as being like this bilious man who's very like unin you know unimpressed with Caspian and very uninvolved in the affairs of the island, who's just like, oh go, I got paperwork, make an appointment next Saturday. Yeah. He's in a tough position because I imagine the governorship, uh, you know, and the, the leadership of the Lone Islands being, you know, in the position of what the leadership of Iceland would be uh, back in the 1500s, if there was such a thing, because I don't think it was settled back then. But, like, you have Europe, who has sailed out far enough to find the island of Iceland, and it's just like, well, this is thousands of miles away from the mainland. We're not really sure yet if there's anything worthwhile beyond this. Like, for a long period of time, Iceland was, like, that was the edge of the world, basically. Or, like, hey, maybe the Vikings have gone out and they found Greenland. They probably found Canada and the U.S., but for most of Europe, it was just, like, we don't know what's beyond this place if we keep just sailing west. Mm -hmm. And so that being said, what reason would somebody from mainland Europe have to go out and trade with Iceland? It's like, why make a, a weeks-long, thousand-mile voyage to the edge of the world to go to this place when they're not... What are they going to offer? Ice. Yeah. Which was very important <laughs> at the time. Well, okay, and but you're making a point. I, I am making a point. My point they is... They had a resource that was natural yeah. and was not humans. Yeah, and you're talking about Europe, which, like, a lot of which is above the, the permafrost line... It's like they have ice access on the mainland. Okay. Um, but no, like the Lone Islands needs to offer something that is worth going all the way out there to get. Like they're not on any major trade routes. Like they're at the edge of the world. Nobody on whatever the planet Narnia is on knows of anything that exists beyond that. Sure. They're the farthest point of civilization. So like how is their economy supposed to survive? And that's my, you know, I'm not saying slavery is the answer. Yes, but why did they have to be involved in the wider market? Like, why can't they just be the Lone Islands off by themselves? Like, what do they have worth conquering? Why do they need protection? Like, yeah, but could... if they're a self-sustaining society, they are they are a I mean, long it's... way off from yeah. overpopulation. They still have a whole island they haven't even settled. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very difficult for a small island nation to be truly self-sustaining. Like, unless you have a tiny population. And we don't know what, like, the population of Narrowhaven looks like. But, uh, yeah, I do think it creates an interesting political atmosphere and puts Gumpus in a very tough position. And while I'm not arguing in favor of slavery by any means, I think it it is understandable for him to make that decision. When Callerman comes in as being like, we'll buy stuff off of you, we'll support your economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we, this is not a, a book where we talk about the economics of <laughs> all clearly, the various clearly it is. Narnian nations. Uh, so yeah, but as you said, they go in and fix this in 15 minutes. Yes, literally. They even say it when, when Caspian walks into the slave market, he says, the slave trade was... Uh, abolished here 15 minutes ago or a quarter of an hour ago yeah which when i mean when you have a rulership that has like basically unilateral power like caspian does have the authority to come in and do that yeah it's like if he had more ships with him 
he could have done it legitimately, like show up with 300 men and take over the island. Yeah. Like, there might be a period of resistance, but like as far as Gumpus goes, like they can depose him pretty quickly. Yeah. And shut down the slave market. Which they so, just like, did anyway. So yeah, that I mean, I don't think this being the work of a day is entirely unrealistic. Yeah. Like, they could do that. Uh, now, anyway. that said, and I don't want to jump all the way to the end of the chapter, mm-hmm. there is a note at the end of the chapter where Burns says to Caspian that he thinks that this abolishing of the slave trade may lead to war with Kalerma. Yes. And I thought that that was an important little moment of, like, Burn being like, you need to stay, keep the ship here, you need to stay and protect us. Yes. Uh, and I was that saying that... This little island way out in the middle of nowhere is, like, the only or a major source of slaves for Calermit. Well, it clearly is a major source because they will sail all the way there to get them. Yeah. Um, is that because all the closer nations have outlawed this practice and don't deal in slaves? And they I, have to go all the way out to... Don't know. <laughs> don't know. Because, like, they have to have a reason for sailing out there. Yeah. So. Obviously. It's possible. Mm-hmm. This might be the last bastion of slavery in the free world of Narnia. Yeah. And that's why the island embodies sloth. Possible. People don't want to work. They want to have slaves work for them. We'll see. We'll see. Um, anyway, so we depose Gumpus and we appoint Duke Byrne. Yes. We also um, change the system so that he's now a duke as yeah. opposed to a governor. We've had enough of governors. Yes. And realistically, I don't know the difference between those two things. I don't either. Um, like, I know, I mean, duke is a royal title, and it holds sway in court, and is like, puts you in the line of succession for the throne at some point, uh, whereas a governorship would not. Um, and I, I have a whole thing about that in my baseless speculation, so we'll get there. But they've had enough with governors. They appoint him as duke. He takes over. And then Gumpus has the the end of the next day before bad things happen. They can decide whether they leave with a flogging or without one. That's what Burns says. What what Burns says to all of the accountants who are sitting there going, but the books are going to, and we're going to lose money. Yeah. Uh, And then they ride out to the slave market. And then they come in and inform everybody that well, in the midst of this slave auction, that uh, slavery has just been outlawed, which to, what's his name? Not Puck, Pug, Pug. Pug. To Pug's credit, he takes really well. He's just like, all right. You're taking, yeah. you're taking my livelihood. Yeah, he's like, all right, game's up, whatever. Um, here's your friends back. <laughs> oh, that one. Nobody wanted that one. Yeah. Uh, before we, before we get to Eustace, though, I did want to share this little moment between Caspian and the two Kellermen who have already purchased, uh, Edmund and Lucy, and they just want to come up and get their money back. Yes. Which Caspian's like, sure. Uh, but I think the way that the Kellermen are introduced in this book is interesting given the, the extended, uh, introduction we had with them in Horse and His Boy and, like, the dealings we had with their society. And here's how they're introduced here. Two merchants of Kalerman at once approached. The Kalerman have dark faces and long beards. They wear flowing robes and orange-colored turbans, and they are a wise, wealthy, courteous, cruel, and ancient people. Yes. Now, this is the first description uh, in in publishing order. 
Is it? Yes. Okay. I thought so, Horse and His Boy came before this mm-mm. one. Horse no. and His Boy was released two years after this. Okay. So this one, yeah, this this Voyage of the Dawn Treader was released in 1952, and Horse and His Boy was released in 1954. Okay. So this is the first description we have of people of Kellerman. Okay. We have had reference to their to the name of the country once or twice before, mm-hmm. but um, this is the first actual description of anyone from Kellerman. Okay. This is their introduction. All right. Which is. I don't, which is interesting because in Horse and His Boy, we're going way back in time. Yeah. And so we can, you know, we, we surmise that, hey, the Kellerman Empire is still going strong here hundreds of years later. They're still dealing in slaves. Their culture at large hasn't really changed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I did find it worth noting that Lewis describes them as wise and courteous. Yes. Which uh, is a picture we very much don't paint in Horse and His Boy. True. <laughs> very true. So. Uh, but, well, I mean, in The Horse and His Boy, we paint them as very mystical and lovers of the poets and things like that. And mm-hmm. and that is something of value in a wise mm-hmm. description of someone. Like, of, in a description of someone as being wise. Yeah. If you say, oh, they they follow the, the, the wisdom of the poets. Mm-hmm. That's something that's, you know, it, it's consistent. And especially this being a thousand years after the Kellerman the we encountered in The Horse and His Boy. Yeah. How does one be both courteous and cruel at the same time, though? Is that like a very lawful evil kind of thing? Or like <laughs> you're, you're cruel and you like you enslave people and torture them and whatnot, but you're nice about it? Like, I, is I, that... <laughs> think, I think that it's a rank uh, and, and authority thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's cruel to those that you have authority over but courteous to those who are your equal yeah interesting uh anyway so they come up caspian gives them their money back well no caspian tells pug to give them their money back and pug says you mean to beggar me yeah because he's he's just in the poorhouse already (laughs) they get edmund and lucy back and then they take sulky and there's this little little scene here where we, you know, just crap on Eustace for being sad that he's getting sold as a slave. Not, like, not, <laughs> not for being sad, but for being so undesirable uh-huh. that people didn't even want to buy him as a slave. Mm-hmm. And like... Well, how's he supposed to be? Like, no, no, no. Like, is he supposed to be like peppy and full of energy and excited when he's getting auctioned off on the slave market? Like... I, I didn't get what they're wanting out of Eustace here. <laughs> what they're <laughs> wanting to do is show that Eustace is so unlikable of a person that people don't even want to buy him as a slave. Yeah, they wouldn't even take him when they offered him for free. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, again, my Eustace apologist uh, thing is coming out. Well, I'm just I like, mean... <laughs> This Here's- is, I feel like this is unfair. <laughs> uh, and they get Eustace back, uh, which he immediately complains about. So yeah, that's that's kind and of... And I a- bet you didn't even find the British consul. Yeah. So I, I really can't defend him for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go have a, a feast. This is Caspian's second feast. Yes. <laughs> whilst in the islands. Yes. So his second feast, Burnstead... And then this one, yes. Yep. And Reaper Cheap is excited for real adventure. 
Finally, it will begin. Anyway, so we load up the Dawn Treader uh, for only a two weeks voyage, which seems like a bad omen. No, four weeks, 28 days. Well, yes, two weeks out. They can only go two weeks out from where they are before they have to turn around. Okay. Well, I mean, that's whatever. That's what it says. Yeah. Uh, so, like, they're, they're 28 really... days. Yeah. They're really hedging their bets on finding something out there before two weeks is up. Yeah. Uh, and to that... I mean, they could fish. They could get food. They just... Their issue is going to be the yeah. fresh water. They that's have... Yeah. would be the issue, yeah. Okay. Continue. Uh, which, I guess... It, it does kind of highlight how small of the ship uh, the Dawn Treader is supposed to be when they can only fit, like, 28 days worth of water on it. Yeah. It's like when they... As someone who's read some historical fiction about this, <laughs> uh, you know, back when, you know, the the Crown and the, the English Empire was doing expeditions to all, all corners of the world, uh, they often packed their ships for months, years at sea at a time. It's like they would have at least six months provisions on ship when they were setting out uh, because they didn't know when they were going to be able to resupply and what situations they were going to run into. And so I'm saying the Dawn Treader only has two weeks out, maybe a month worth of supplies is really emphasizing just how like not shoddily put together this ex- expedition is, but just like... <laughs> Especially when Caspian like swore to go for a year and a day yeah. in his expedition. Yeah, and they're they riding on the seat of their pants here and just really hoping. Yeah. Uh, to that end, though, Caspian goes out and starts asking around uh, about rumors to see if any of these old salty dog ship captains have any idea of... Marifa Cheap, too. Yeah. Yeah. What might be out there. See, who knows what's out there. And the only rumors that they really get are, oh, my father told me this story. That uh, seems like the one that they got that had the most cred was, my father told me. Mm-hmm. That beyond, beyond, beyond is Aslan's country, mm-hmm. which Reepicheep is very interested in. Yeah. And, um. But you can't get but there. But you can't get there. You can't <laughs> sail there. Yeah. But it's there. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. We can see it. We can take out the spyglass and be like, hey, I can, I can see Aslan's country. It's over there. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a little bit of foreshadowing where it says the rest had only wild stories of islands inhabited by headless men, floating islands, water spouts, and a fire that burned along the water. And because this is Lewis, I'm going, I, full disclosure, haven't read this book before, but since it's Lewis, I'm going to say, either all of those things happen or none of them do. (laughs) So this is either complete BS or this is very obvious foreshadowing and we encounter every single one of those things at some point. I tagged this page to be able to come back to it and check Uh Uh as we we continue exploring in the book. Do you not remember well enough? I don't remember well enough. Okay, well... We'll we'll come back to that as we explore that and our uh, our theory about the uh, seven the lords of seven deadly sins, uh, and then they are ready to set out. Off they go. Yeah, off they go, and that's the chapter. And that is. Is there anything that we missed that we need to talk about? I don't believe so. I think we hit everything. Um, I wrote down the headless men, floating islands, water spouts. I wrote that down. <laughs> uh-huh. And then. Yeah, my only other note was the the line Selim to Kellerman about the what they do with the slaves. I mean, we did find out how much a minim is. We yes. didn't talk about the minim and how it's a fortieth part of a crescent. Is it a fortieth or fourteenth? Yeah, fortieth. Okay. 
Phew. Just a, a, I guess, a weird number to break things down into, but. Well. Anywho. Anywho, I think, like yeah, to move I think that's on? about it. Let's move on. Sure. What do we do next, Kristen? Uh, next, we do our uh, Narnia Chopped and Screwed. <laughs> next, we do Narnia Chopped and Screwed. Of the three segments in this show we do. Hey. Which one? Hey, now. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, now. Oh, I thought you were going to go with All Star. It's, it's always one of those two. You're so in narnia chopped and screwed we will uh as we are reading the chapters just like with our summary we pull sentences out of the chapter but this time our goal is to tell a new story Mm -hmm. using this sentences from this chapter this chapter's own words but trying to tell a new story maybe spin it in a different direction create new characters whatever what else so uh, I believe you went first on the summary, so I will go first on the rewrite. Cool. Tax, bring out Sulky. We may need your help here. I can take no responsibility for any such measure, said Gumpus. I have graphs. I have... Glad to have him off my hands. That's it. It's fun. Just, just a little dialogue exchange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's more about Eustace and... No, it was not about oh, Eustace at all. It's about... Eustace some, wasn't a character Somebody, in that. Somebody who's sulky. Gumpus. Oh, okay. It's about Gumpus and Eustace, like, equating their characters in a way and saying, like, mm-hmm. kind of... I, I don't know. I took, I took Gumpus to be an extension of, like, a Eustace kind of character. Okay. Is there a time warp and Gumpus is actually Eustace in the future? Totally. We don't see him in the same place at the same time. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so here is mine. But he had seen a ship of war sail down the straits yesterday and seen it signaling as he supposed to its consorts. This closing the slave market might make a new world. War with Callerman is what I foresee. They wear flowing robes and orange-colored turbans, and they're a wise, wealthy... Courteous, cruel, and ancient people. He glanced up as the strangers entered and then looked down at his papers, saying automatically, No interviews without appointment except between 9 and 10 p.m. on second Saturdays. What need have you of slaves? Okay. Um. And this was a story about uh, the invasion of Callerman of the Lone Islands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And taking it that direction. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you've continued the story that we've already read, though, as opposed to, you know, like just telling a whole new story. Yeah. I like it, though. Thank you. All right. So uh, so that's done. We can move on to our last segment, which Woo-hoo. is called uh, Baseless Speculation. And as I had already mentioned, I've never read this book before uh, doing the podcast. So I don't know what's going to happen. And we're still in the fun first part of the book where I get to take all sorts of wild liberties with uh, where the plot goes. And that's yeah. that's what we talk about here. And I've got, I've got something good for this chapter. Last chapter was rough, but this one. And I almost don't want to do this because it just makes me look like a one-trick pony. But, like, it, it just the story writes itself. What? You think Gumpus is of the... Uh... No, no, no. Not Gumpus. So, we've established in the last chapter that uh, Lord Byrne... You know, down in his village on whatever island he was on, uh, Avra. Yeah, Avra. 
he's a man of wealth and power. Like, we, we had this whole thing about how Pug just, you know, listens to him, respects him, gives him a slave without even taking payment first. It's just like, this guy is good with the money. Like, he owns a lot of slaves. He's been doing this for years. Like, dude has money. Uh, he also has influence in the islands. Maybe some of that came from Narnia when he sailed out, or he's been able to build up a power base since he got here. However, I think this whole thing is the long con. Like, this is his game right here. Because we we come into this scene of uh, Caspian doing the triumphant entrance through Narrowhaven and going up to the castle and just being like, oh, well, the door's barely open, and, like, the guards are slovenly, and their equipment barely functions, and, like... You know, there's this kid who's the captain who's, you know, not even wearing armor and is just like, oh, I'm the captain, I suppose. And this whole scene that's uh, that makes it look like Narrowhaven is just like this falling apart place where, like, sloth and, uh, you know, laziness has taken over entirely. Yeah. And my thoughts are, this is all put on. This is a show. This is every part of this, down to the last detail, Byrne has arranged. Because we go in, and why would we expect the Lone Islands to have a standing army got at all? It's like, they're out here on the edge of the world. Like, they don't, they're, they're a tiny group of islands. They don't have any super valuable resources that we know of. Nobody's going to sail all the way out here to invade them, because what's the point? It's not a tactically good position, because nobody knows there's anything beyond them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just out here on the edge of the world, tiny little islands full of, like, backwoods people. Who cares? So why would they even have a standing army? They don't. These are all actors that Byrne hired. Maybe they're slaves. Maybe they're fl- slaves that he bought and freed. And it's just like, all right, we got some old armor laying around. I'm going to put it on you guys. It's your job to make it look like this whole place is falling apart. And Gumpus is doing a terrible job. And I would even go so far as to say that, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe Gumpus gets threatened here. Or maybe like he gets made up to look like he's doing a worse job than he actually is. Because this entire thing is Burns power play. Like yeah, he, he this is, is his coup. Yes, this is his coup. And he set this all up because not that I'm saying he had foreknowledge that Caspian was coming out to the islands, but he had a feeling, like I'm sure he 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 thought at some point that somebody from Narnia would come out to check on him. Like yeah. they know somebody in power knows he's out there. Somebody's gonna sail out and find him eventually. So for years he's been building up money and building up power in order to do this. It's like, as soon as Narnia comes out, I can set up this whole thing and I can take over. And be like, hey, look at how terrible of a job this guy's doing. Why don't you install me? And it's really important here that he gets installed as a duke. He is not a governor. He's a duke. And as I mentioned earlier, that gives him a line of succession to the throne. It does. And that gives him a claim on a royal title. And now that Caspian's been so open and free visiting the islands, he knows... Caspian's gonna sail off into God knows where, and even if he doesn't find anything, like he's he's gonna be gone for another like nine months, whatever. Yeah. Like maybe he disappears, maybe he finds something, maybe he dies out there. Who cares? Burn doesn't care because his entire plan is as soon as Caspian's gone, he's gonna crew up a ship, he's gonna sail back to Narnia, and he's gonna make a claim on the throne because he's gonna tell everybody that Caspian's dead. Interesting. And do you think Trumpkin would really fall for that? That's the question. How shrewd of a of a businessman is Trumpkin, or how shrewd of a of a leader? Trumpkin is shrewd. Yeah. I I think that you know 
I don't. I don't think. I don't have any concerns about Narnia with Trumpkin in, in a controlling position. I gotcha. So, like, I, I, I think that Vern is in this uh, secret society of Tumnus and Lasarling mm-hmm. that we've established exists in the Order our, of Tumnus. Yeah, the Order of Tumnus. Which at this point in time, Tumnus is just like a mythic figure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> he's like King Arthur, basically. Love it. <laughs> Um, no, I'm just gonna, it just, I, I, I don't want to, like, always be the guy who's like, oh, my baseless speculation is this, and this guy's working against the leadership. Especially as someone over. who genuinely just doesn't like political intrigue in your but, fiction. But it's written, but it's written too well. <laughs> like, it makes too much sense to just plug all that into the chapter. Okay. You know, it, it makes more sense than the Lone Islands having a standing army, like, even as ill-equipped as they are. I'm just saying. And and burn takes over real quick. <sighs> anyway, yeah. Thank so that's... you so much for joining <laughs> us today. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Um, thank you for joining us today. Next week we will be reading chapter five, the storm and what came of it. And um, in the meantime, if you want to interact with us on social media, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of the table being turned over um, mm-hmm. <laughs> at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. And um, until next time, if you are invited to sit down for a drink with six or seven rough-looking men, don't do it. They're probably slavers. And when you build a ship for an expedition, include more room for water. See ya. Bye. Took you a minute to get that one. No, it didn't. I was Uh, turning the page and I was giving myself room to edit out my uh, page turning sounds because I hate having them in the audio files along with the freaking dog next door. at gmail at at gmail.com you know because there's an email address there where all these other countries surrounding and have much bigger issues and like narnia when look you don't have to talk about the giants that way (laughs) and and i and i want to sit here and i'm i'm never ever ever gonna argue in favor of slavery good 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 to know do you know what Billius looks means like? Uh, we we load up the Don Treader. Ah, sorry. Say that again. Stop dropping your phone. Uh, Stop. Like I've done it more than once today. <sighs>